0: Hello, I'm Jack Cashman, Deputy Editor here at Hot Topics, and this week's podcast takes a deep dive into the world of the Chief Information Officer, with a specific focus on the changing nature of the role, and ultimately, how this change will influence the way that people are set to work in the future. This discussion, it was recorded as part of a series in partnership with Computer Centre, and the guests for it are Matt Pierce, the CIO of one of the world's largest law firms, Linklaters, and Hot Topics Contributing Editor and former Chief Information Officer of the City of London, Bill Limond. Well,
1: good afternoon, Matt. Thank hey, you, afternoon. And uh, good to see you here. And as one ex-CIO to another CIO who's rising through the ranks, um, start off with an old joke. And does CIO mean career is over? <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean, we, we've been hearing quite a lot about CDOs and uh, CTOs, etc. So. Very interested to to get your take on, you know, what exactly is the role of the CIO? How is it evolving and where do you see it going? In fact, what's your vision? What do you see as the the mission and purpose of the CIO? Because you've you've obviously had uh, experience of quite a few organizations now. Mm. And uh, it'd be quite interesting to find out the background and the uh, differences between those organizations and how you see that
0: role evolving. Uh, over time, now and in the future. Okay. So I think that the, some of the, the phrases that you use, the CDO and things like that, I think organisations needed to create such jobs in order to give a focus to transformational change that they were trying to drive. I have a personal view that I don't see lots of longevity in the CDO role. Um, I see it as a stepping stone type, type position. But I think the CIO and the way that I view what I do as being a conduit between all those technical things that people in in our business and in our clients' businesses are having to use every day. The technology is becoming more and more important to them in every aspect of their working lives. And our kind of executive and our leaders in our organization and the things that that they want to try and drive strategically. And I act as the conduit there. And that's around all the information that our firm holds. And I guess in some ways that means that I am operating on a spectrum of plumber on the one hand, so just keeping things running, through to innovator on the other, and trying to help the organization understand how they can extract value from technology investments, how they can... Find the data that we've got existing within our organization, how they can leverage that to the advantage of us and our and our clients, how we can wrap security around the whole thing uh, and keep it uh, keep what we need to keep safe, safe, sure. and give assurances to our clients that we are we are treating their data with the respect that it deserves. And I see that as being the job that I do. So I'm kind of a little bit like I'm an agitator on the one hand, and mm-hmm. I'm a safe pair of hands on the other, and mm. you know I, I've got a role to play in making sure that that technology kind of. I, in some ways, I view myself as a bit like a needle and thread, and I help thread things together. And and more recently, that's a nice analogy. Yes. Yeah. more recently, I see myself as somebody who is actually a real advocate for business change, and and is the conscience in the room around making sure that we apply the right amount of investment to the business change and changes in processes that are required. From a technology perspective, there are very few questions that we can ask oh. where you say, can technology do this? The answer these days is nearly always yes. And then there's a but that comes and there's a, there's a price, there's a risk, there's a whatever consequence. But actually the bigger challenge is coming in all the things that people want to do. Oh. How, do you, how do you change the way that you work? Mm. And, uh, and I, look, you know, I look at, for example, at things like volumes of email. So, one of the most common questions I get asked by the stakeholders in our business today is how can you, pointing at me, reduce the volume of emails that I get? <laughs> to which the answer is, well, actually, I, I can give you all sorts of wonderful tools that will help you filter and create rules and, mm. and other things, but actually, culturally, I cannot change alone mm. the fact that, that we live in a business which thrives on email. And, and some people find those email volumes they get still very overwhelming. And, you know, how do, how do we help evolve that is, a, is an interesting I've
1: question. I've known some chief executives who work solely with emails and have been collecting them over the years. Right. So it's, um, yep, yeah, yeah your, your, your point there. Um, I liked your allusion to information, because if one looks at the role, chief information mm. officer... It really is about information and data, isn't mm. it? It is. It's about the governance and the, and the strategy
0: Absolutely. Uh, of how you manage that. That's the asset in the organisation. Completely, and it's, yeah. and it's of huge value to our organisation, the information that we hold. And, and I, I feel hugely privileged to be the person responsible for making sure that we, we look after it in the right way, and we, but we also use it to our advantage, make it available to people. Sure. And I always end up with this, in our... In people's personal lives, they find the concept of search really, really simple. They go on their phone, they go on their laptop at home or whatever, and you do a sort of personal search, and you're looking for car rental in Namibia, and you get back a whole pile of things really quickly. They're exactly what you want. And yet in, in enterprises, when you try to perform the same search, you get back long lists of things that are kind of out of date. So data governance and information governance
1: are key Absolutely. to that. It's almost like you're trying to get Google within
0: Yeah, the but we have to, but, but exactly but we're then wrapped as well with the security thing, because sure certainly in the business that we are in today we need to make sure that only certain people have access to certain data at certain times. Oh. So when you take that into account as well the complexity gets, gets greater, but the prize is still there but is it a matter
1: of stovepipes as well, or people just creating data within their own particular areas? Uh, and that's what creates the problem, that you get the inconsistency between the various areas and the lack of uh, standardisation, perhaps, across the piece. Is, is that the case in, in data and data governance within the organisation?
0: I don't think so. No? Um, I think we are getting ever-increasing volumes of data, and people need help in understanding how do I organize this and file this and put this in a put this in the right place at the right time. Mm. I just think otherwise it becomes overwhelming. Mm. Um, and and certainly we are we continue to see significant growths in or significant growth in the, the, the volume of data that in the unstructured have. Data. Absolutely. data as well. Structured yeah. and unstructured. Structured and
1: unstructured. yes, Right. And especially in the legal context. I mean you've moved from obviously retail to yes. professional to to um, the legal yes. area, would you, would you say the legal guys are ahead, behind where's it where it
0: going, it's different it's different mm. um, I think lots of the challenges are the same, um, as in people, when, when you're in a retail environment, and I worked in a retail environment that had had stores and the, the, the store manager and the area manager would want information about what they've sold, who sold it, what margin did we make those kind mm. of things, mm. in, in the business that I'm in now, people probably want less of that sort of management information and they're, they're searching more for information about skill sets, information that helps support the work that they're doing. So it's, it's, a, it's, sort of a, it's a more business-driven mm. um, type of search. Where so is
1: this the old knowledge management, knowledge
0: sharing? Some of it's knowledge management, but, but other bits are... Other bits are how do you take that knowledge and cross refer it to things that are topical, for mm-hmm. example, mm-hmm. you know, when when if if a news story is pertinent today, is there a way of us being able to reference things that we have done before that would help support a client relating to that news story? So that combines the it sort of combines the new world with the old world. Mm-hmm. It's not just about
1: so something like GDPR, is this a help or a hindrance
0: or a call to arms? I think GDPR will help in making sure that people have got the right type of processes. Mm. So we are, we're actually in a position where we're advising an awful lot of our clients around GDPR. At the moment, mm. people have got a lot of mm. questions. Mm. What do we need to do and by when? Um, and and I, so what I think it will do is it will help bring everybody upper level and, and provide terms of data governance, In data management. Data governance. Yes. Especially identity
1: management Absolutely. and so on. Yeah. So
0: so who are you? What are you trying to access? Where is that thing that you're trying to access? And do we know that at all mm. times? Mm. And no. and I think people have struggled with that historically. So is security getting easier or more difficult? Security is one of those things that I think we as an industry we've missed a trick on. And mm. and I think if you know I, I look at things like Take the television. So 10 years ago, I still had a big CRT TV in my house. I um, then moved to a much slimmer, you know, th- thick bezel but mm. thinner mm. screen. Now we're, you know, I've got a TV that has virtually no bezel at all, has wonderful picture. You've got ultra-high definition being projected mm. to it. And you think if we'd put the same effort into solving some of the security challenges as we've put into some of the nice hardware that's being mm. developed... Security would have come on a long way. Not, I don't. It's I don't, not the money in it. That's the problem, though. No, I don't think. I don't think there's any shortage <laughs> of products. Mm. But those products just, to our end users, they add red tape. They add complexity. Oh. And again, it's complexity that they don't have at home. They they just have this in their, in their business lives, and they see that that's a problem. And you know, I've, I, somebody once left a a blank postcard on my desk with a post it note attached to it saying. Please fill this postcard in, explaining the benefit of two-factor authentication. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you know, they, because they people just get frustrated by the number of hurdles that they
1: have. But the GDPR change. I mean, the difference between what we have now and what the GDPR with the four percent. Of yes. Global revenues Correct. does raise the
0: ante somewhat, doesn't it? It raises the ante, and I think what it's helped do is it's helped alert more senior figures in organisations. Right. So yes. business all, figures. All of well. us exactly. So all yeah, of a sudden, like if you were struggling to get the attention of this subject mm. within your executive or your risk committee, uh, you've now got no problems at all because mm. the, the the threat of the fine is real. Yeah. Um, and and therefore. At, it's, it, but you made the point earlier, it's a call to arms. What are you going to do? When are you going to do it?
1: So the role, does that help the role of the CIO? Is that going to help us and you know, what we're trying to do in I organizations? Think it, I
0: think it will help get some investment around how we store our data. Certainly some of our metadata and our tagging and those kind of mm-hmm. things I think will have to improve. Mm-hmm. Um, it may also, I mean, lots of organizations really struggle with the question of when do I delete information? Oh yes, and you want to hold on to something. Seven-year rule, exactly, for as long as you might need to. But of course, it's quite difficult as a CIO to just go across your whole organisation and say, right, on any particular day, what needs to be deleted. There may be reasons why you have to keep certain things, or why certain things are important, and things that are under, in our business, for example, we might be working with regulators or investigations for things that have been going on for many, many years. And, And if I were to turn around and delete that information it would be extremely problematic
1: but on the other hand for public sector organizations with freedom of information yes. requests etc there is uh, correct there is a, an objective in fact not keeping stuff
0: for yes. too long and and having tight time for it so so getting that into yeah. e- being able to educate some of our stakeholders around mm. what do we do with our data when it gets to a certain mm. age mm. that that will be helpful a helpful part of gdpr
1: had a session at the BCS elite group, the IT directors group mm-hmm. um, and it was all around you know, what are the problems that CIOs face at the moment and what are the big ones w- that seem to come out from the group um, was around communication and communicating with the business, that seemed to be the biggest issue, the biggest problem that, okay. that we're finding and how do you approach that how do you, how do you, what, what's the advice you would give to
0: CIOs in dealing with that I think one of my number one responsibilities is to be a storyteller. Mm-hmm. So, and, and I think that story is, it's, it's about being transparent and offering stories in a way where you're just telling the truth and, mm-hmm. and stories in a way that simplify technical things and put them into everyday business language. I think there's something about the regularity of communication. How often are you telling these stories? Mm-hmm. Are people aware of what, the IT function is doing, how right. it's trying to do right. it, what its priorities and challenges are. Right. And I know I've, you know, I've taken some of our executives to some of our operation centres and shown them some of the tools that we're using, and they never fail to be amazed mm. at actually what it takes to run an IT function these days. Right. right. So I, I have not found so communication. I mean, we just put it into buckets, I think communication with the senior stakeholders, I don't really struggle with. I, I think I, I do a reasonable job with my storytelling there. Mm. Telling stories to our, to our broader organization mm-hmm. and, and our broader firm. To the business. Yes, yeah. to, the, to, to business people. Mm. That, that is something that is a challenge. And I think when, you're, when you set out, for example, at the start of the year to say to people, here are all the things that we're going to do for you this year, IT programs tend to be unpredictable for lots of reasons. The, the, you, know, you've got, you may have a vendor challenge, you get delays, you get other priorities. Um, and, and the last thing you want is people saying, where is that thing that you promised me in February? But at the same time, you want to be held to account for delivering the things that they need to make their lives more simple. Um, also, lots of people are—they find it difficult to separate the, the IT alerts they get about, say, maintenance and operations versus the IT information they receive about new projects and new functionality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and lots of it is to, if I talk to our end business users, it's just a big blur, lots yeah, of it, sure. to them. And they don't, yeah. they don't want to read it. They want, it. they want it to be kind of context relevant um, and delivered to them at exactly the right moment. And therefore, just sending an email is not good enough. Yes. So we were trying to think of other ways of engaging with people. And lots of that's about trying to get people face to face. What about the new technologies? Threat, opportunities? Especially in the legal context, mm. I would imagine. That there's yeah, there's an, an awful lot, lot of so, so artificial intelligence is something that we've been following for quite some time. We've We've had lots of active engagements looking at what we think the technology could do in our business. So just a few observations. One, there's quite a lot of media hype about artificial intelligence. Mm-hmm. It strikes me that everything from powerful search engines through to proper cognitive learning all get put under this AI banner, and then you know, there's people coming along and talking about what does it mean for jobs and these kind of things. So just a few things, and I'll just put them into the legal kind of context as to where I see it going. I think that there, there is inevitably going to be a move where technology is able to provide services to people providing legal work today. That today they do manually. So, sort of transactional yeah. service. So I think that will come in. And I think that will be. A, a house, for instance. Yeah, I think it will be a commodity very, very quickly, some of sure. that stuff. Sure. So things where you can set simple rules down, where you've got, for example, even, even in due diligence exercises, if there are lots of contracts and you're looking for expiry dates after 2020, mm. technology exists that can do that really quickly right now. And that will become a commodity quite mm. fast. What I think we're going to have to do in our organization to respond to that is going to be there's a skill shift. And I, and, you know, I wonder if our, the teams that we have today where we have lawyers facing up to our clients, I wonder in the future if we're going to end up with multidisciplinary teams. So there may be some people who look like IT people today included mm-hmm. in those teams working with our clients because mm-hmm. there will be a technical component to what they do. So these people won't be practicing the law. They will be, they will be there to make sure that we've got the right data and information and, and it's actually there's a big life cycle attached to this as well because it's where is the information when i'm analyzing it and then back to the questions we talked about before how long do i keep the information for who has access to it how do i make sure it's deleted you know that whole life cycle is going to take some management and and today it's quite easy to do a transaction then just sort of throw everything in the bin or or you know as appropriate it's it gets saved depending on what the rules are Um, Well, one theme, actually. Mm. It's the
1: skills. And we've talked about the skills, perhaps, of the professionals moving towards having more digital IT skills. What about the skills that you're needing in your organisation as the CIO? Yes. How has that changed, and how is that changing, and how do you see that evolving? We're told we've got a shortage of these sorts of skills. Is it true, and why is it true, and who do we need? (laughs) Okay. (laughs)
0: The biggest skills gap that I think I have is in people who can quickly and easily understand a business requirement mm-hmm. and turn that into something that's actionable. Like, really, and I mean really fast. I'm not talking about the difference between an agile methodology and a waterfall mm-hmm. one. I mean, somebody who can see an opportunity to. Either automate something or make an improvement, and to be able to say actually we can do that, and then have a, the support all the way down my IT organisation to drive that through. What about
1: yes, this this role of the business relationship manager? Yes,
0: so I think it, and that's the what BRM. I think. Yeah, I think that's, it's in that it's in that space that I think this needs ah, to come out. okay. So today, lots of our, our, our we we call them engagement teams, but they're like BRMs. When they go and engage with our practice, they will get given lists of things that mm-hmm. are broken or don't work or mm-hmm. could be improved. Mm-hmm. And, and the BRM has to then do something with it. And, and my organisation needs to be realigned in order to be able to make this stuff happen really quickly. We are able to push stuff through today, but it causes all sorts of disruption when it goes through really quickly mm-hmm. and it, and it mm-hmm. creates problems in other areas. And I think there's a, there's a big... There's a big requirement to find people who can help make sure that you can drive those things through on a regular basis while not disrupting your, your more complex and probably slightly slower paced deliverables around things like our document management system. Sure. You know, where we can't afford to rush mm-hmm. because the impact if it goes wrong is far too great. But actually, some of these little things being able to do stuff really quickly that benefits our, our, our employees and then our clients. There's a big prize if we get that right. And, and we're not doing it. So what skills do we need? I think there's a, there's a, there's a skill around delivery. There's a skill around business understanding. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's kind of a tenacity thing that's needed as well. And I often say to people in, in my function today, we've all got to learn to be more curious. We've got to learn to understand why is something a problem and what can we do mm-hmm. to solve that quickly for them rather than just saying, oh, yeah, we've heard about this for the last six months. We know mm-hmm. it's a problem. Mm-hmm. Which is... I think that's a sort of stereotypical answer from an IT person. And so I'm trying to encourage people, no no, be a bit client centric and say right, how do we do something unique here? How do we do something clever? How do you make people who
1: aren't necessarily that way inclined
0: client centric? The typical IT techie, yes. how how does that happen? So a few little things on that. So one, it, I'll come back to storytelling again. So storytelling is really important to them. Making sure they understand their role in delivering to our firm. And this is not. A, it, this sounds like a PR thing. We do a global engagement survey, and of the IT people in my organisation, 93% of them say that they fully understand their role in serving the firm. And that's a number that I've seen increase since I've been at the firm. Um, And I think some of that is in my trying to help people understand where the firm's trying to get to. Mm -hmm. I try to get people from the firm in to talk to the IT function. So Mm -hmm. come and do visits, do little mini town hall stand-ups and just say, you know, a day in the life of a lawyer looks like this. Mm -hmm. These are the things that cause me pain. Sure. And actually, you get people that start to understand it. We are... I think, quite good at creating cross-discipline teams. So there are a number of forums that we run with people in our organization who are kind of the fear-earners in our organization. Mm-hmm. And they'll sit with some of the IT folk and explain what they need and what they feel. Mm-hmm. And, and those can be really, really insightful. And, and I think it inspires people to want to do things differently. And then once you get a bit of momentum around that, I, I have found that the team are really aligned to what the business want to do. Sure. And they, they want to do things more quickly. And we've seen some really good successes there. So it's actually building that pride and... Absolutely. Yeah. And one of the other, I mean, one of the other things that I've tried to do around the sort of client centricity thing. So we, uh, we used to have a, an IT function in our London office that was buried away. And y- you wouldn't be able to find it unless oh. you kind of had a map. Oh. Um, and I built a shop. And it looks like a shop. Um, and... It's in an area which is completely accessible to everybody. It gets great footfall. It's next to our cafeteria and uh, and that kind of thing. And it's a drop-in for anybody. We call it Ask IT. And it's a drop-in for anybody who has any type of IT question. So if you want anything really if you need some advice on how to use a, uh, a piece of software that we have mm-hmm. if you've got a device that's not working properly you can just call in and ask a question and that team are logging calls in the same way as kind of our service desk do but it's it's pushing it from being in the background to being in the foreground and it's worked really really well to the extent that we're actually in the process of expanding the shop so we can do some more on-the-spot training and things there. And we're going to roll it out in some of our other offices around the world as well. That sounds
1: great, but do you have to manage expectations sometimes because that can be an issue?
0: So far, the feedback has been, wow, it's great that we can just call in. So as long as our processes in IT keep working to say when someone has come in and logged something, if the person can't help them that's in there, so, just to go back to
1: the differences between the types of organisations you've been in, yes. because you've done retail, yes. you've done professional, professional services, professional services yes. with Deloitte, and, and, yes. and then on to a law firm. Mm. What are, the, are, are there major differences in what you do from the CIO point of view, from the IT function
0: point mm. of view? Or are there? Um, you know, is it all the same thing? I'd be, I think it's quite. It's an, it's an interesting question, and quite a few people asked me that when I first joined. Mm. And, and I think many of the many of the challenges that I used to try to tackle in retail are the same as the ones that I'm trying to tackle in professional services, right. and then and then onto onto the law firm. You know, there, so so take some simple things. There is always much more demand for it services than we have available supply Which is why i was talking about managing expectations yes. so there's an enormous list of things mm. that we could do at any point in time and those things have to be prioritized yep and you have to explain to people what that process is how you go through it how it works and that you can't do everything all at once so i i, I appreciate setting expectations from that point of view is really quite important um So there's that challenge. There's the other challenge, and and we had it in retail and I kind of have it now as well. Is where you where we've got a whole pile of systems that have been around a long time, I'm a bit loath to call them legacy, because I think there's a lot of value in some of those systems. I thought the definition of legacy was that it worked. (laughs) Maybe. Maybe right. But the stuff exactly the stuff that works. Mm. And when you're trying to combine that you know, in the sort of with a digital world where you may be leveraging some cloud services or whatever, oh. that is that that looks like on the face of it that it's that it's quite a challenge. Oh. Um, but it's as much of a challenge in retail as it is in professional services. Sure. I mean, the, the the retail business that I was in had was was regulated by the FCA you know here we've got regulators we've got lots of client concerns and requirements in the in the retail world we had to comply with PCI and things like that so there were there were regulations in both places and it's something that we just had to keep battling and it's something that um, the similarities are alarming, alarming in some ways because the business is... Um, so different from the face of yeah. it, but actually underneath it in an IT perspective.
1: That's my, my experience yeah. as well, and I'm Absolutely. sure. I know that you've talked quite a lot about, yes. about clients. Um, how does that drive your,
0: your your requirements and your role? So I want to be in a place where, as an IT function, we are spending a good portion of our time working on things that benefit our clients. Um, we have had a tendency as a function. It's very easy to get caught up in the replacement cycle for IT kit and, mm. and mm. sort of the plumbing infrastructure type projects. Yep. But I see the value and, and the value that I can bring to the firm in the role that I'm doing in being able to provide technologies that help us work more effectively with our clients drive some efficiencies for our clients um, and and just help our people have happier lives with the technology that they've got uh, so so trying to put client initiatives in our IT portfolio is really important and I work very hard to try and make sure that those things are prioritized you know not you can't take away the fact that we have to do certain upgrades and other things every year. But I don't want that to be the sole focus. It's trying to make sure that we've got a good blend of, of projects in our portfolio. Um, and, again, that's something that seems to be working at the moment um, and is directionally we're moving in the right direction. But we've still got a distance to go. So advice to s- uh,
1: aspiring CIOs. What's, what's your vision for the next five years? And what would you say to people aspiring to be a CIO or a CTO now.
0: I'd say you can't underestimate the value of relationships in your organization. Right. And and I don't think it's just about making sure that you're close to the CFO mm. or you're close to the CEO or whatever. Mm. I think there are as you go through the cycle, you've got to be you've got to be in a good position with with all of your Um, your peers and with all of the people who live on your executive and potentially your non-executive directors as well there's a there's a really broad role to play and understanding what their expectations are is really is really quite key i think that's that's one point the second point i think we we've got to do more as it people to get some of our business colleagues to fully understand some of the challenges that we have, and to come and sit alongside us and to see things. So I actively encourage people to say, look, just bring people on board and show them what we're doing. Show them why it's complicated. I think far too often IT leaders pitch up and people don't like the cost. Mm. And, and the IT person runs away. It's like, what can I cut and other things? But actually, if you try to take people along a journey and you show them why it's important that you do what you do and how you do it... I think you get a different perspective sometimes. I'm not saying that the cost challenges go away. Mm. But, but I think getting a different level of engagement is really important. And that level of trust is, is quite key. Third thing, I think there are, there are always things that IT leaders can do that tick boxes in the heads of, of some of the leaders in, in the organization. You know, they, I'm not going to be foolish to call them quick wins, but there are always things where actually you say... Do you realize the power that's in this technology, so for example, at the moment we are running a, um, something internally, which is a, a, a firm wide collaboration exercise, and everyone in the firm is able to collaborate and communicate on a certain topic, and our chief exec is thoroughly bought into the process and very engaged in the process are you are you leading that I'm not leading it no, no but but the technology enables it. Right. And I think what it's doing right. is it, right. it's showing him that technology can be really helpful. So when you're in a firm like ours, so multiple countries in the world, people in different time zones, actually this technology is helping bring the whole firm together to have a discussion mm-hmm. around a certain topic. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really opened his eyes up to what technology can do. So there is something about bringing your executive to a point where they can see some of the things that technology can do. And that was, a quite, it was a quite a quick and easy thing to to pull together.
1: And I think one of the things you said at, at the beginning was that um, it's almost that IT is the business and the business is IT.
0: Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, line, the lines are completely blurred, and, yeah. I, and, I, and I don't. I, I see us as we move forward in terms of um, the skills that people need, you need to see yourself as somebody who is just a part of the organisation. Mm. You're not different. Mm. You're, just because you wear an IT hat doesn't make you different. You are, you are adding as much value as anybody else in the organisation. Um, and in the organisation I'm in, you know, I, I am not a, a fee earner out with our clients, but I am hopefully the person that helps those fee earners do a better job and the clients get a better service because I'm, I'm contributing to some of the, the tools and the ways so of working. Personal vision for the next five years? For where I'm, what I'm going to do. Um, as I said before, I'm immensely... I am privileged to be doing what I'm doing. I love doing what I'm doing. Um, I, I think that there are... There are things within our business where technology can play a bigger role. So I think that taking on board some of the kind of AI tools, looking at opportunities for automation. So how can I take some of the things that really frustrate our lawyers, how can I take those away by using tools... People may call them robots, those kind of things. Mm. But how can I take some of those away from them and give them more time to focus on on client service? That's where I see myself going, becoming a real enabler, hopefully building on the knowledge I have of what the firm wants to achieve and making sure that as a firm, we are as agile as we can be with our technology and we are able to take ideas and collateral and the innovative thoughts. We're a hugely innovative firm, loads of ideas, I've got to do a better job at getting those ideas and turning them into reality, showing people what the art of the possible is. And and that will make me a happier person if I'm able to do that.
1: And do you feel that it gives the organisation a competitive edge? Because, after all, you are in a competitive industry.
0: We are. Mm. And, and, And I think that we could... If we get our technology right, we can move ahead at a pace faster than we think we can. When people look externally at the legal world, they always think the legal world, it's a bit slow. It, it plays yeah. catch up with other people. We've got some very innovative things happening that make me think actually we could be a bit of a, a, bit of a forerunner in some of the technologies. Mm-hmm. That the potential there, is right? there, presumably. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and so I think if we get them right, and we are able to get concepts embraced, change the way we work, and and really take that stuff to our clients, I think we could see ourselves in a better position. I definitely believe it gives you competitive advantage if you get it right. Yeah,
1: yeah. Okay, well, I think uh, that was really a very, very good insight into the role of a CIO, the evolving role of a CIO, and how we see the CIO role moving into the future. Was there anything else you wanted to to add? We've covered quite a lot. We have covered a lot. Thank you. Thank you very much, that was really extremely interesting.